Matthew chapter 13. Uh, we've called this uh, God's Word in my heart. And, uh, you know, we've been working our way through Matthew, and uh, Matthew is unique in the Gospels in that he focuses in on the teachings of Jesus. Now, this particular teaching or discourse is going to be found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And uh, it's called the parable of the sower. Now, there's a couple of things that I need to say about this. We're only going to get through the first parable today, which is the parable of the sower. There's so much more that needs to be said that I really can't say uh, just because of time. But uh, there's so much in this that uh, it was literally this chapter that when I went to seminary, it was this particular chapter that made me change denominations. And so there, this is one of the most important chapters that we can ever know. And uh, we'll see that. We'll do this hopefully in two parts, but uh, it literally changed my life. So uh, hopefully you find it interesting at least. And if not, just nod like, oh yeah, yeah. So now, Jesus is going to give what is commonly referred to as the parable of the sower. Again, Matthew, Mark, and Luke record this. Now, when Mark records this, he says this as, as it relates to this parable. Jesus will say, uh, and he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. And uh, so in, when, when in uh, Jewish circles, many times when Jesus says, how will you not understand all this? Uh, he's making a statement. And in, uh, in Jewish communication 2,000 years ago, and still today, they would make a statement, but it's phrased like a question. Like they would say, am I not a good man? And what they're really saying is, I'm a good guy. I'm a good man. And so what Jesus is saying here is that this, you have to understand this parable to understand all the parables. This is the parable that unlocks all of the other parables. If you understand this, you get the rest. If you miss this, you miss all the rest. And so keep that in mind. We'll, we'll come back to that a couple of times as we, we travel through. But I'm going to pick it up in uh, chapter 13. I'll read the first couple of verses. It says, now that day Jesus went out of the house and was sitting by the sea. That'd be the Sea of Galilee. And large crowds gathered to him. So I want you to just underline the word crowds gathered to him. And he got into the boat, sat down, and the whole crowd was standing on the beach. And he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, behold, the sower goes out to sow. So uh, very quickly, as you've heard me say before, Jesus speaks very differently to different groups of people. So when he's speaking to disciples or apostles, he'll say things like, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, I give it to you. You will tread on you know, serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, things like that. When he speaks to um, the Pharisees, we saw last week, he's, who are non-believers, he speaks very differently. When he speaks to the crowd, he will say things like, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. So you always want to ask who it is that Jesus is speaking to in order to understand what he is saying. So keep that in mind. The next thing we notice is it says that uh, in verse 2, it says he sat down, he gathered, he got into a boat and sat down. I love that. And what we forget is that the crowd by this time, although by and large, they like Jesus, but they've, they've not been believing in Jesus. And we've seen that as we go. But they have discovered that if you touch Jesus, you'll get healed. And so you can imagine how difficult it would be to try to teach if people are walking up trying to just touch you. So what Jesus does very practically as he gets into a boat, goes out a few feet, and there's a nice little barrier so he can teach the, the, the crowd. Does that make sense? So, uh, so just uh, keep that visual in mind. Now, 
this parable that we're going to get into is the reason that we do everything that we do here at Calvary. This is what makes us Calvary. And uh, other people do different things. This is what we do. And then uh, the, fourth, uh, the next thing I want to, to say is that in verse 3 it says, he spoke to them many things in parables. Now when it says many things, uh, Mark will add a couple of parables to this discourse, but uh, Jesus teaches a whole lot more. And what we are getting is the synopsis of what Jesus said, which is why each gospel will add certain phrases, and, and uh, because Jesus talked about this a whole lot more than just the verses that we're talking about. This is a, a much longer teaching, maybe an hour, two hours, something like that. So we're going to pick it up in verse 3. It says, he spoke to them many things in parables, saying, behold, the sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell by the, by the road, and, and the birds came and ate them up. Others fell by the rocky places, and they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, but because they had no depth of soil, uh, but when the sun had risen and they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And I want you to just underline no root, and that'll be important for our study. They withered away. Now others fell on the thorns, and the thorns came up and they choked them out. Others fell on the good soil, and they yielded a crop some a hundred, some sixty, and some thirty, and you know the diminishing returns there in this in this uh, gospel, and that'll be important for our next study. And then Jesus says to the crowd, "He who has ears to hear, let him hear." And what we're going to find out is that the crowd is listening in, and they think they are understanding, but they do not get what he is saying here, and so they're going to completely miss it. So. As it continues in verse 10, verses 10 and 11, it says, the disciples came to him and said to him, came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? And Jesus answered them, to you. Now he's speaking here to disciples. And uh, other gospels tell us that Jesus, uh, the disciples have been listening, but then they wait till Jesus is done. They're kind of nodding, oh yes, that's rich, that's very good. And then they get alone with Jesus and they go, we have no idea what you're talking about. And so they wait till he's alone. So Jesus responds to them. He says, and the disciples came to him and said, why do you speak to them in parables? And Jesus said to them, to you. Now here he's speaking to believers, he's speaking to disciples. It has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them, that's the crowd, it has not been granted. So the crowd is not going to understand this. So one of the things that we find is that Jesus will speak in parables not to make things plain, uh, but you want to write this down, but parables are used to conceal the message. Now it, it has not been granted to the crowd to understand what's going on, but Jesus turns to the believer, the disciples, and says, but to you the mysteries of heaven have been granted. Make sense so far? Now um, the next thing on your outline, uh, write this down. So these parables are given in public, but they are explained in private. Jesus does not give explanation to the crowd. Uh, they think they understand it, but they're going to completely miss it. We'll see that as we go. This larger crowd 
they like Jesus, they have good feelings towards Jesus, but they, they're not really believing in him. Do you remember a few weeks ago where Jesus says, woe to you Capernaum, woe to you, Thy-, you know, and all these towns where Jesus had done ministry in, they, he, they'd done miracles, he'd done miracles, but they never, they never repented, they never believed. But they did like following him around every time, you know, he'd make a good meal and that sort of thing, and he'd heal people, and they liked the show, and that was good, and they would bring people, but by and large, many in the crowd did not believe. Now, not everybody, but, but by and large. So um, it was given in public and explained in private. Now verses 12 through 17, he says, for whoever has, to him more shall be given. And we're going to be speaking here about uh, Bible truth, we might say, or understanding of the kingdom. And he shall have an abundance, but whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. Therefore I speak to them, the crowd, in parables, because while seeing, they do not see. While hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. For in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled. Now this is Isaiah chapter 6, if you want to read it later. Uh, it It says, which says, you will keep on hearing, but you will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but you will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull, and with their ears they scarcely hear, and they've closed their eyes. Otherwise they would see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and return and I would heal them. And that's speaking of the crowd there. But blessed are your eyes to the disciples because they see and your ears because they hear. For truly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it. And to hear what you hear and they did not hear it. So Jesus is going to explain these parables to the crowd. Uh, uh, from Isaiah, the crowd's going to listen, but they're not going to get it. And, and, and so what we're going to find here, and what Jesus is saying, and I want you to write this down, is that parables will only be understood by believers. And so that's who Jesus is speaking to here. And in verse 9, he says this, he ends this, he says, he who has ears, let him hear. And some of your Bibles will say it a little bit differently. If you were to read that in a literal translation there on your outline, it says, he who is having ears to hear, let him hear. Now, in, in that culture, it was a phrase. When Jesus would say, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. He's not talking about physical ears to hear, but spiritually the ability to hear. And the idea there was that if you heard this and understood it, you're now responsible for it. So I want you to write this down. So with understanding comes responsibility. Understanding comes responsibility. Now, a few minutes ago, at the top of the outline, when uh, Jesus begins to explain this, he says, and I'll, I'll just read it again, uh, and from Mark's gospel, he says, he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. So the idea is you have to get this one in order to get the rest. If you miss this one, you miss all the rest. So verse 4 uh, it says, he sowed some seeds, or the sower began to went out to sow, and he sowed some seeds, and the seeds fell by the road, and the birds came and ate them up. Now, underline the word birds, that'll be important for our study. And then Jesus will begin to explain that in verse 18. He says, hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom, and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is the one on whom the seed was sown beside the road. 
Sowing is uh, an agricultural term. Uh, we would say the planter, the farmer. And so in that culture, the way that they farmed, the way that they planted their fields is they would plow the field, and then the farmer, the sower, the planter, however you'd want to say that, would typically either have a pocket in his coat or a bag, and it would be filled with seed. And he would walk through the field, and he would just be throwing out the seed. And then once they walk through the field, some's go- some is going to fall you know, in the middle of the field, some's going to fall on the side, it's going to fall on different types of soils. And so once you did that, then you would go through it and you'd plow it again, and that would cover the seed, and then you'd see what came up. So it's, a, it's, a, it's an agricultural term. So here, Jesus tells us in verse uh, uh, 19, he says, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom, what we're going to find is that the seed here that is being planted is the word of God. And uh, we'll say that the, the Bible, scripture, that's what the sower is supposed to be spreading out and, and putting out. So there on your outline, when Mark says it, he's, he's much more clear. He says, the sower sows the word. Very specific. Uh, sowing the word is what we do here at Calvary. We open the Bible, we go through it, and that's like throwing out seed. And uh, sometimes it falls on certain types of soil and other times, but that's what we do because the sower is to sow the word. Nothing else. The word. And uh, so be very careful when you enter... um, I'm going to go on because I'll get very politically incorrect and I'll get a lot of emails. But the sower sows the word. Does that make sense? Okay, so that's what we do. If you're, uh, uh, you're called by God to, to do this, you sow the word, nothing else. That's the seed. So the soil is my heart, and we're, that's what we're going to find. Now, in verse 4, he says, uh, he sowed and some seeds fell by the road, and the birds came and ate them up. And uh, you come down to verse uh, 19, and he says, the, uh, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one, in my translation it says evil one, comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart, and this is the one whom was beside the road. So what we find here is that the birds in our story are Satan. You want to write that down. And when Luke tells the story, Luke adds a little bit of detail. He says this on your outline. He says, those along the path are the ones who hear, and when the devil, and I've underlined the word devil, uh, when the devil comes and takes away the word, I've underlined the word, from their hearts, now underline this, so that they may not believe and be saved. So hopefully you've underlined that. So Luke will say it's the devil who takes away the seed. If you read Mark's gospel, he will say Satan takes away the seed. And in Matthew, he just refers to him as the evil one. So uh, we all know who this is, but it's, it's the bird, uh, the birds of the air who will come and take away the seed. That'll be important next time in our study. So the word saved um, means that something really bad was going to happen. And before that really bad thing happened, something else happened that saved us. Uh, You can't be saved unless there was something really bad about to happen. So you say, I'm going under financially, my business is dying, and uh, I'm going to have to file bankruptcy. And all of a sudden that deal comes through just before, and you've been 
saved. You have to have something really bad is going to happen before you can be saved. You're out on your boat, something happens, it begins to sink, you're in the water, sharks are circling, you feel like this is it, and all of a sudden the Coast Guard shows up and you are saved. Uh, If something really bad is not going to happen, then you have no need of being saved. Does that make sense? The, The message of the Bible is that you and I need to be saved. There is something that is very bad that is going to happen, and if we are not saved, that very bad thing is going to happen. Now I say that because, and that bad thing is is eternally separated from God in a place called hell. If you've ever read the description of what takes place there, it's not a good thing. Now the reason I say that is that you and I live in a generation where people talk about being saved as though it means enhanced. No, it it means that something really bad is going to happen, and if you, you don't get saved, that really bad thing is going to happen. So that, that's what that means. So when Luke says it, that last little line, he says, so that they may not believe and be saved. So Luke lets us know that this person is unsaved, and you want to write that down, unsaved. So um, this teaching, uh, this teaching uh, that Satan is doing, uh, Satan is doing whatever he can do to keep people from being saved. And and one of the things that he will do, he'll keep the word out of our life. He will distort the word. When we talk about being saved, he will change the process, whatever he can do, that we miss it. So how do you be saved? Well, from the Bible, it says this. uh, The apostles are asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. When you come to the place and you say, I believe, I believe that Jesus is God. I believe that he is the one who can save me, that he paid the price for my sins. It's at that point that you believe that you are saved. Many times we will pray a prayer, but the prayer is more confirming. We're saved at the point that we believe. And so when you believe, that's when you're saved. But don't let anybody ever add anything to that. It's when you come to that place where you believe in Jesus, that he is who he claims to be, and that that, that is the whole method of or the whole path of salvation. Much more to say, but i got to go on. So the first one can't receive because we would say that they have a hard heart. And then verses 5 and 6 he says, Now others fell on the rocky places where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up because they had no depth of soil. But when, um, but when the sun had risen, they were scorched. And I've underlined that word scorched. And because they had no root, they withered away. Well, Jesus explains that in verse 20 and 21. And he says, the one whom the seed was sown on the rocky places is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no, um, my Bible says firm root. How many of your Bibles say firm root? Now, is the word firm leaning to the right? Okay, it's italicized. Anytime you have a word in your Bible that's italicized, leading to the right, it means it's not in the original language, okay? So it's not really saying he has no firm root, he has no root. That's what, he's, that's what it's saying. Uh, he has no root in himself and is only temporary, and when affliction or persecution arises, and I want you to underline, because of the word, immediately he falls away. So, now, this one is very much like the first one. As a matter of fact, when Mark tells the story, when he talks about the second one, he's just told about the one that the birds come and take it. But then he says this, and I put it on your outline. 
He says, in a similar way, these are the ones, and he says, are the rocky places. So in the same way as the first guy, and so what we find is this is going to be the shallow heart, and when it says similar way, this guy also is unsaved. And you want to write that down. Unsaved. This one, and you also want to write this down, is going to have an outward conversion, but there's no interchange. Nothing has really happened on the inside. And you notice that he says there in uh, verse 21, he says, uh, when, when affliction or persecution arises, and it doesn't end there, it says, because of the word. Now here's what this means. Uh, when there's affliction because of the word, this is the person, they're here, they're, they're in church, they've had this emotional experience, but all of a sudden the Bible doesn't say what they want it to say. The word affliction means problem. So now they have a problem because of the word. So the Bible doesn't say what they want it to say about morality. The Bible doesn't say what, what they want it to say about what, how God views marriage. And, and so there is now affliction or problem because of the word. And they don't like what the word says and it offends them and so they leave. Make sense? So, and that just reveals that nothing really took place. Um, also it says persecution because of the word. So they, they start to say, hey, I've become a believer, and all of a sudden it becomes difficult. They find that people don't really like it when you go to work and say, hey, I'm a born-again Christian. You go to work and say, I'm a Buddhist, I'm this, I'm that, whatever. Everybody's, oh, that's so cool. But you say, I'm a Christian. And people go, well, I don't like that. You know? and, and they go, well, I don't want to be a Christian if nobody else likes it. So because they're not accepted. And it reveals that nothing really took place on the inside. On the outside it, it appears that something has taken place, but nothing took place on the inside. So Jesus says they're just temporary. They're temporary. It's not really a a, a true conversion. John, the apostle, would say it like this. They went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us, but they went out, so it would be shown that they're all not of us. So you're going to find in church life and in Christian life, there's going to be some people, they, they have an emotional experience, but all of a sudden they don't like what the Bible says because of the word. Uh, and and uh, they're gone. They're gone. And so here's what this means, and you want to write this down. Difficulty doesn't make me, it reveals me. And so many times God will take a, a difficulty to reveal the truth about somebody's faith. And, and typically it's like this. When, in time of difficulty, and here's what we need to ask ourselves, in the time of difficulty do we run to the Lord or do we run from the Lord? It's very revealing. As believers we run to the Lord. The non-believer when there's persecution or affliction because of the word, they run away. And it just reveals that they were never really a believer. They were here, but they were not a believer or in church somewhere. Now, the next one will will not say in a similar way. Uh, This one's going to be very different. This one is going to have a root but it's going to have no fruit. The, the last one had no root, but there looked like something was happening on the outside. So we're going to call this the overtaken believer. The overtaken believer. This one is going to be a believer. Verse 7, he says, others fell among the thorns and the thorns came up and choked them out. Now it's growing, it has a root. And then Jesus explains it in verse 22. He says, the one on whom the seed was sown among the thorns, this is the man who hears the word. And the worry of the world, or some of your Bibles will say worries, the deceitfulness of wealth, some of your Bibles will say the deceitfulness of of riches, choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. 
unfruitful. So uh, this one is a believer, but they just never come to the place where they become fruitful. They never bear fruit in their lives. I like how the literal translation says it here. I put it on your outline. It says, that sown toward, uh, and that sown toward the thorns, this is the one who is hearing the word. You know, they're saved, they're, they're going to heaven, you know, they're in church sometimes, that sort of thing. Uh, they don't run out when things don't work out in their life, but they never come to the place where, where they actually become fruitful spiritually or effective in God's kingdom and God's family. It's very much like having an orange tree. You know, you know it's an orange tree, you go out to it, and uh, you can tell it's an orange tree, but it never bears fruit. Uh, it's, it's, it's not that you doubt that it's an orange tree, because you know it's an orange tree, and here in South Florida we pretty much know what orange trees look like, so we said we know it's an orange tree, but it doesn't bear fruit. doesn't mean that it's not an orange tree, it just means that it's essentially useless. It's an orange tree that's not doing what it's supposed to do. So Jesus tells us why this person never comes to the place where they become spiritually fruitful. Um, Verse 22, he says, this is the one on whom the seed was sown among the thorns, and this is the man who hears the word, and first of all, the worry or worries of the world. The worries of the world. Uh, Go ahead and write this down. This person is too worried about what, what could happen to trust God. The word there says worry of the world, I put on your outline, worry, uh, the Greek word is merimna, and it means through the idea of distraction. And I want you to underline that word distraction. They're always distracted away from the Lord so they never really become fruitful for the Lord. And then it uses the word solicitude, which is not a word we're, we're usually familiar with, it just means anxiety. So this is the one who is distracted from becoming everything that God wants them to become uh, because they just focus in on other things. They, they, they're, they're worried. So they worry so they can't trust God with their finances because they go, what would happen if God doesn't show up? Uh, they, they can't share their faith because they're worried that somebody might not like them if uh, they share their faith. They can't serve the Lord in any way because they got so much stuff going on. They just, you know, they're distracted by those things. And when they are serving the Lord in some capacity and their schedule gets busy, it's serving the Lord would be the first thing that gets dropped from what they're doing. They're, they're distracted. They never come to the place where they can become fruitful. They can't take a step of faith because they're worried that God won't show up. We call this the unbelieving believer. And this is not for you. This is not how you want to go through life. Uh, Nobody questions whether they're believers, but they just never become fruitful. Again, it's like an orange tree uh, that has no fruit. Then verse 22, it says, this is the one on whom the seed was sown among the thorns and the man who hears the word and the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth or deceitfulness of riches. Uh, One of the things that we find here is that they're too busy making a living to grow. And you want to write that down. I like that, that word deceitfulness. In the original language, uh, the word apate, it just means delusion. Delusion of riches. They're consumed with making a living so that they can never come to the place where they actually focus in on the things of God. And I love that he uses the word delusion. The idea there is that you know, when they get there, they find out, they go, this is it? This is it. And and it was all a delusion. Now, when Mark tells the story, Mark adds a little detail. 
Mark says, the desire for other things enter in and choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. So write down just the desires for other things more than God. You and I live in an area where there is so much going on. I mean, and and it's all going on on Sunday. Have you noticed that? I mean, it's always on Sunday. And in our world, uh, a churchgoer, an active churchgoer, a regular church attender is is defined by somebody who attends church at least once every six weeks. And uh, and that's that's pretty much how it is. I know you guys are here a lot more, more than that. And also, I know that, that uh, sometimes things come up and you got to go do other things, and we get that. And you know, occasionally there's a run, there's you know, a couple times a year surf is up. I fully get that. <laughs> and believe me, I get that. I would, I'd love to be there with you. But, but I'm talking more about the person who always has some reason to never make it to the place where they're fellowshipping with other believers, they're not taking in the word, they're not growing in the Lord. There's always some reason not to be there. Uh, Paul would say it like this there on your outline. And so apparently it became a problem even in the first century. Paul said, let us not neglect our church meetings as some people do, but encourage and warn each other, especially now that the day of his coming back is drawing near. There's something about believers getting together. And uh, apparently it becomes more important as that day of his return draws near. So, so far we've seen uh, Satan's plan is first of all to remove the word before it can take effect in somebody's life. His plan is to create problems because of the word, and so he, he does that. Uh, his, his plan is to get believers so caught up in other stuff that they never become fruitful for him. And uh, so maybe, maybe today, for, for some of us, this would be just a good day to evaluate and see where we are in this. And I, I don't think that this is the place to be going, you know, like this, but it's like we all need to look at ourselves and see where, where am I in this. But then we have what we call the overcoming believer. Write that down. And this is where we want to be. Verse 8, he says, Others fell on the good soil and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. And I'll talk next time why he uses the diminishing return here uh, in our next time we come back to this. Verse 23 he, he, def- he explains it and he says, the one on whom the seed was sown on the good soil, this is the man who hears the word and understands it and indeed bears fruit and brings forth some hundred, some sixty, and, and some thirty. Hundredfold, sixty, and some thirty. This is the guy who understands it, he gets it, God's word goes in, it begins to sprout in his life, and it begins to bear what we would call spiritual fruit. I like how Mark says this um, because this is how I feel about this church. And uh, Mark says it like this. Those are the ones on whom the seed was sown, the good soil. And when they hear the word, and some of your Bibles would say accept, some of your Bibles would say receive, they receive it and bear fruit. And what I, I love about that word and the original language, which I won't try to pronounce Uh, but it means to accept near, but by implication uh, to delight in. Underline that. Delight in. I love that you hear delight in the Word of God. That, That, you know, there's a lot of places you could be, but you've come to the place where you know that you're going to get the Word of God. 
the sower sows the word. This is what we're to do, put out God's, God's word. And hopefully that's what we're doing. And I love the fact that you delight in the word. And um, so that, that, makes, that makes my life. Now a couple other things as we, we wrap this up. There is no 160, 30-fold seed. The seed is the same. The only thing that's different is the soil. You and I live in an age where because we say the soil is so rocky, maybe we shouldn't sow the seed. The problem is never with the seed. The problem is always with the soil. Does that make sense? Now certainly you have to put the seed out in a way that, that's going to be effective, but you can't manufacture somebody's heart. But when their heart is ready, the seed has a way of springing to life. The reason that we do this, and Jesus says understand this parable in order to understand all the parables. The sower needs to understand, those of us who go and we put out the word of God, we need to understand that, that uh, sometimes it falls on rocky soil. Don't stop sowing the seed, the word of God, because some don't like it. Don't stop sowing the seed, the word of God, because uh, you know, you know, some people get distracted. You sow it because that's what the sower sows. He sows the word of God. And we live in a day and age where it's very popular to come to church and it's very little sowing. When the sower goes out to sow, he's tossing out all the seed that he can. And uh, I would toss out more, but I only get a few minutes on Sunday morning and so that's that. But the, the life, the life is in the seed, but the soil has to be receptive. Notice this verse there in your outline. We'll close with this. The word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of the soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. You know, it's, it's God's word. It's living. Just like the seed. You put the seed out. You know, I share a verse and uh, God uses that verse and he speaks to somebody. I, I love how Jesus would say it like this. Jesus says the words, when Jesus speaks, he's, he's God. And so when Jesus speaks, it's God's word. Here's what he says. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. I love that. And then Jesus says to the crowd, he says, but there are some of you here who do not believe. You know, but the truth is it's all found in his word. So that's why we do it. And understanding that first parable unlocks the rest. Did that make sense today? Okay, good. Uh, Did you find it at least interesting? Good. All right, well, our alarm is going off, so I'm going to close (laughs) in prayer. So we'll do that. Heavenly Father, I ask today that you would take your word and that you would help us to prepare our hearts. Uh, We're responsible for the soil that we are. And we pray that you would help us to get our hearts to the place where we can be good soil so that your word can go deep inside of us and that the root of your word would go so deep and then sprout up and produce so much fruit and that we would be effective and fruitful for you in the things that you're doing as part of, some would say, your kingdom and and as part of just being part of your family. Help us to be that. 
I pray, God, that you keep us till we meet again. It's in Jesus' name that we pray and all God's people said, amen. Amen. God bless you guys. We'll see you next time.